Welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. Hi, it's May Habib, CEO and co-founder of Writer, the AI writing platform for teams. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the Remote Work Tribe podcast, May. Can you tell me a little bit about the most exciting thing that you're working on these days? Oh, my goodness. Um, I don't think I have ever worked on anything more exhilarating than scaling Writer with this incredible team, an incredible product, um, customers, people dream of. It is uh, definitely the most exciting thing I've got going on. Awesome. Um, can you tell me a little bit about sort of your philosophy or approach to leading the team at Writer? Oh, that's such a good question. We have got a um, a very strong operating cadence. So every other week, there's an all hands that is really transparent, gets to the heart of all of the like core things that we need to be talking about and shining light on. Uh, we do that every other week. On the off weeks um, is a, a team leadership meeting that is a two-hour, sometimes three-hour meeting where we uh, go through kind of team by team and initiative by in initiative, the, the most important things. And then we've got, I mean, it's it's literally a Google sheet, uh, but team by team, it is the most important metrics in the whole company measured weekly. We do quarterly kickoffs, so we plan the quarter in advance, um, and that all gets translated into, you know, what data we're going to be measuring week over week, and that's basically it. Like, there aren't that many meetings otherwise, and so because we are tracking the initiatives and the results against those initiatives so carefully, the meetings themselves aren't update meetings. They're not regurgitating things that people could be reading. Um, it really is discussion that we wouldn't be otherwise having. And that forms really the basis of a culture where folks are incentivized to take ownership, run fast, um, kind of really be drivers of the action. So I guess my philosophy is both deep in the weeds as well as hands off. And so, you know, we are really detail-oriented as a team, and it shows in our product, in our customer support and service, in the ways that people get value from the tool. And, you know, at the same time, my philosophy is to really help folks think about where we want to end up and then lean on them to tell us how they best think we should get there. Uh, this is like the most stacked Series A company uh, in tech, and everybody's got incredible ideas. Um, and if something doesn't work out, we try something else. So yeah, my, my philosophy is to make sure they're in charge. Awesome. Well, I have like 600 billion follow-up questions from what you just shared there. Um, first, for those who might not be familiar, can you talk a little bit about what your current team structure looks like at Writer today? Yeah. So um, we are product, eng, NLP, and ML, all under uh, my co-founder, Wasim. He's incredible. Um, then we are sales, marketing, customer success, and go-to-market ops and strategy, as well as operations and HR, um, all under me. And we are a super flat organization. So um, we've got uh, four VPs in the company, you know, we're not like 
super like VP this, director this, um, but you definitely know who the heads of are uh, certainly on on the teams. And they, like me, are hands-on keyboard detail oriented. So, you know, like very strategic, multi-horizon thinkers, seeing around corners, playing this 5D chess um, that is company building in early stage, you know, emergent technology. Uh, and they are responding to tickets and like being a customer's first email and jumping in to answer product questions in Slack for new joiners who are, you know, jumping on a demo. So it's 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 a team that I really deeply admire. We are about 60 people um, and then another 10 or so contractors. So um, the team is, has grown a lot uh, around this time last year, we were 20 people. So it's been pretty incredible growth. I think the like the leadership team is 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 really there. Um, we've got an incoming head of customer success who we're so excited about. Uh, they join us in about three weeks, and um, and then like everybody, you know, we're being super thoughtful for each additional headcount. We always have been, so it's part of the reason I think the team is so incredibly talented and gelled already because we were so thoughtful making those additions over over twenty two. But uh, yeah, that's a little bit about kind of our, our team structure. We've got an office in San Francisco, but we are remote first. It's probably why I'm on the podcast. But the in-person, like just chemistry and magic and fun that happens when we are together is really undeniable. And almost, you know, every, and this is Danielle, our head of people, I think she has engineered this perfectly. You know, we all come in on a Monday and by Friday, when folks start flying out, like nobody wants to leave, you know, and I do think like for remote first cultures that like week in person a couple of times a quarter leaves everybody really wanting more. And I think that's a nice way to kind of end end the week. Certainly when we're all in our homes, it's just it's a lot more actual like, quote unquote, productivity, right? You're 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 checking things off on a list way faster the question is, is it those, is it the right things? You know, did we all decide on the right things beginning a quarter? Do we actually need to like reprioritize, resync? And the number of times, like a random side meeting that like wasn't even going to be a meeting. It was literally like someone saying hi to somebody else on the way to the bathroom turned into five of us in a, in a room. And we actually like change something about what we are going to do this quarter or next. You know, that has definitely happened a handful of times, even though I think we do pretty good planning sessions. So that hybrid isn't like hybrid in the strict sense of what people are doing now when they talk about hybrid, like we're either all remote or a good chunk of us are, you know, in person. So I, I think that is going to be our model. Um, at least until like 150 people, um, I, I can see it, like the strong operating cadence, the strong leaders that we've got in place, um, and this, you know, two weeks a quarter, kind of a little bit into the quarter, a little bit before the end, all of us together in San Francisco, I, I feel like that's going to see us through at least a doubling of of the team. Um, and then, you know, we'll see we'll see what happens from there. Like we have, we've done micro adjustments, right? Like actually our executive meeting, our leadership meeting, we canceled for most of 22. We were just like, we're just, we're so aligned, you know, it's like, it feels like a waste of time. But then as the team grew and everyone's jobs got so much more complex, right? Like as the team, as a, as a company started scaling, 
um, then it really felt like we needed that in-depth few hours together every other week to just even check in, you know. So, yeah, the operating cadence continues to be a work in, in progress, um, but that's that's a bit about the structure. Absolutely. So it sounds like you guys have like been, managed to travel within a year. That's pretty incredible. And it sounds like you didn't like miss a beat when it came to company culture or goals and stuff like that. That kind of speaks to you as a leader. What were some of the things that you made sure you and other kind of executives within the company did to make sure that it did feel like everyone was a very included cohesive unit, despite the fact that you tripled in size? Um, so connect, challenge, own are our cultural values, and we recruit on them. So they are part of our interview process. It's part of uh, what we talk to people about. We stress different aspects of them when we are kind of dividing up how we're going to interview somebody and get to know them over a process. And then once they get started in their onboarding cohort class, we do sessions on culture and really try to introduce the company and the strategy and folks on the team in ways that really emphasize that. The, the values themselves came out of um, surveys that we did of the seed stage team before we grew after the A around, you know, what was really serving the team and what wasn't. And a lot of the explosion of innovation that's happened at Ryder in the past year, I think is a direct response, actually, to um, something the team told me about, like, risk taking. Right. And like, you know, that spreadsheet I talked to you about. Right. We've been doing that since January 2020. And you can miss the forest for the trees. Right. And so like we talked about things that we wanted to lean into culturally, things that we thought weren't serving us anymore, things that we really just wanted to like get rid of. And the team has really leaned into this risk taking around um, product and, and go-to-market um, that I've so appreciated and loved. And that, that's gotten baked into our, our, our culture. And that's a direct result of the values of challenge and own. And if we weren't all so connected, it'd be very hard, I think, for folks to, you know, kind of be um, wanting to change the culture in that way. So, yeah, I, I think it's a, a really powerful and effective one and has resulted in um, a lot of innovation. Yeah, absolutely. You need to have a connected culture um, in order for people to feel safe to be able to take those time, be able to take those risks. Yeah. Um, you spoke something else like a few times already where it's about having a culture that is detail oriented and like written first, which obviously makes for sense given what your company is centered around AI and writing. Do you think that sort of culture of like having a writing heavy culture plays into the fact of keeping people more connected and more aligned? Yeah, absolutely. And we have COVID to thank for that, honestly. Um, you know, it's a um, it's a happy accident because if we weren't like that, not only would I think <clears throat> we know we not be would we not be remote post COVID, um, but I think there'd be a lot less um, like congruity between like what we do as a company and how we operate as a company. So I actually just yesterday spent my first day back at work writing our 23 memo and will be spending my first few hours of the day tomorrow those are my favorite parts of the day i don't do any meetings i just work also writing and my monday is writing before i get on a plane to go to new york and that's really a lot of the team um ryan our head of marketing also does a lot of writing um doris our head of product does a lot of writing Maiko um is managing customers does a lot of writing 
so it is it's it's less explicitly like we are a writing culture and and part of that is equity and just inclusion like we've got incredible communicators on the team at least half the team doesn't have english as their first language including myself although you know i'm i'm just as strong in, in english as my other languages so i i do think that like the writing culture is a result of us having moved to remote and still wanting to be aligned and like strategically on the same page as like the space that we're in um, moved so rapidly um, over the past couple of years. So I think um, I think that is a happy accident and I would go back and fight for it if it wasn't going to happen. Um, and it's definitely uh, serving us really well. Yeah, absolutely. And you've also, going back to something you said, kind of at the very beginning of this conversation, when you're talking about kind of getting aligned on metrics and having everyone fire on all cylinders, do you use a framework like OKRs or EOS or something like that in order to come up with metrics? Or how do you kind of make sure that everyone is aligned in and the same kind of product vision and company vision? So there is a, it's a great question. In that same sheet that's got all the metrics, mm -hmm. second, third, fourth tabs are the quarters of the year. And team by team, Wheel. This is like, at some point I should open source it because it's literally been so incredibly helpful and no amount of software has replaced like just a really well done Google sheet. The, the quarters are organized by team with the company's OKRs at the very top sort of fixed, right? And then teams coming up with their own um, OKRs. But we sort of do like modified OKRs. Like I kind of find the like actual Google OKR system sort of like convoluted. Like here's the goal. Here's how we know we got the goal. <laughs> and sometimes those are like kind of the same thing. Like how much money, how much revenue do you want to be at? You know? And so there's certainly like supporting points to the actual objective. Sometimes they're key results. Sometimes they're ways we want to get to the key result to prove something, right? Or to like lay a foundation for something because like, let's say it's a revenue number, getting to it with 50 customers, not 500 customers says something about the strategy and how you're doing it and why you're doing it. And so, you know, especially when it's, and you know, now our ICP is pretty baked in. So like, you know, we don't um, qualify objectives in that way anymore on the revenue side. Um, but certainly like when it comes to different channels or distribution strategies that we're trying out, an objective with like key results spelled out so people know like what is like hitting it by the letter of law versus like by the spirit of it, like why does it even matter, you know? Um, so it's it's OKRs with a twist, I guess, or like it's 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 objective based, um, maybe not OKR based. Absolutely. Can you go through maybe a little bit more about some of the other sort of modifications you've made to OKRs in order for it to fit into your kind of company culture? Yeah. So I used to be very involved in what each person's OKRs were, and now I'm not at all because I think I I have learned that. The team is so good. The results are better when I am not involved um, because folks can kind of be trying to guess what you want and like putting that down when they're so much smarter than me anyway. Um, so I should just leave them alone. So 
I just spend way more time coming up with the just the context for why I think the company OKR should be the company OKRs. And they're never more than three. And they're like pretty broad. And I think um, this year's are going to be basically the same as last year's. Like, you know, words take on heftier meaning the more experience you have in the market. And so they like automatically get more specific even without adding more words because the team has been through the shared context together. And so they will be more specific, but not because like we've weighed them down with like clauses. But anyway, I, I spend way more time thinking about that and, and communicating that than I do like X person on Y team. Like, do they have too many things, too few things? Like, you know, how are they going to make sure they get this person's tasks done that are dependent on them, et cetera. So I do think that the system that we've got um, works. Now, one thing I do get involved in and like to look at is OKR attainment at the end of the quarter. And so team by team, just what is the OKR attainment? And we've got a company goal of um, the objective attainment. And, you know, every, every quarter we've now done this nine quarters in a row. I like look and especially these last two to three quarters where I've like not been involved at all and just looking at like reading once the team says all right they're final you know we've like we're 10 minutes before at all hands and every team leader is going to be presenting and I'm reading it with everybody else and I think wow I'm so proud like this is fucking ambitious I'll be happy if we do half of this you know and so even when people see like let's say a team got like 65% OKR team at one quarter, you would think the following, everybody's going to try to like do a little bit less, you know, just to make sure they like hit the, like the higher threshold. That's the company's OKR percentage. And every time I'm like, wow, this is so ambitious. I, they're only 13 weeks in a quarter folks. And, uh, and yeah, you know, folks do really, really well. So I think it's a fun way, um, to also show everybody what folks are working on, you know, um, and from a from a planning perspective, it's a strategic advantage to have a team that can really be good planners together. One, I think you can you can periodically like be thinking long term at the same time as everybody else. Like you're not thinking long-term when folks are thinking about what they're shipping next week, you know, we're all thinking long-term at the same time. Um, and I think that can be really advantageous. And then the other thing that it gives us for the whole rest of the quarter is the permission to like ignore everything else. Like we're not a culture where people are like sharing random shit they saw on LinkedIn or I'm screenshotting. Oh, I love this ad. You know, it's so distracting for a team. Of course I like, see things and I like want to talk to the team about it but like it's so distracting like we already decided what we are doing and unless we see things that are like directly applicable to stuff we know our colleagues are working on um then that shit's got to go to the random channel because like that doesn't belong in a team channel you know what I mean yeah absolutely it sounds like you just have like and your team has just a relentless focus that you can just kind of channel in on and execute at a very, very high level. Speaking to some of the things that you brought up before, where you were talking about kind of how you spend a lot of time coming up with the company, OKRs, those kind of the top three. 
Baby, can you speak a little bit more to like what your thought process is around that and making sure that everyone is aligned well so you have the confidence to let teams do their thing, but make sure that it's still all within the same sort of, everyone's still kind of in the same team. Mm. Um, you know, because the like core operating cadence is like so ingrained, we can come up with ad hoc ways to connect um, that, um, that are temporary, right? Like we can create temporary structures that everyone understands are as temporary. And one of the things, for example, on marketing, we literally just decided, um, this is the call before you, I was a couple of minutes late to actually just for the month of January to do a 10 minute team standup. And it's because we've got a couple of folks that are new on the team that are going to be really important to the success of the team, um, this year who didn't have kind of that formative, like August, September, October experiences with the rest of us where we did like eight events and we saw each other five times and like, we like really, really pulled off some incredible stuff, which made the whole rest of the, the year so much easier, October, November, December, and, and very successful. We, we did 112% of our Q4 target, which I'm really proud of. And so, you know, getting these folks to see how we think more frequently, right? Given that we're a remote team, we thought would be really helpful. And like, we're doing a lot of things in January that aren't going to mean that are that that aren't in person. Um, and so actually us getting aligned um, more frequently versus like a longer meeting once a week, we decided was the was the way to go. Yeah. So um, I think that is that's one way that we get buy in is like, when we don't have it or when we don't have alignment or we're like not sure yet that we've all mind melded, we'll create kind of temporary structures to do so. You know, three quarters ago, we did company OKRs bottom up. This quarter, I came out with the first draft, right? And so there is sort of just the like keeping my ear to the ground around like, where does it feel like we've got alignment and and leaning into that right like there's no use like we don't do exercises for exercise sake right like we don't do the kind of like performative inclusion um where like you know we get everybody to go through a process even when everybody knows what the answer is we do actual inclusion of like you actually being in charge of what you are in charge of and what you are hired to do and folks being really really comfortable and accepting when it happens to them of, you know, just folks asking questions right across, across the company. And um, that also helps to create more alignment. Right. And especially when we don't you know, like engineering, asking sales questions, for example, it doesn't happen every day. Absolutely. And I'm going to shift gears a little bit because I really want to talk about your views on generative AI um, in particular, but like given, you know, you've been in the space for a, while, a little while now, um, What's something like, what's something that you think is like really everybody in the industry in the AI sphere should like start doing? Oh, good question. Um, I think being able to um, interact with AI and get great results um, is a skill that everybody will be learning in 23. And we are launching a series of workshops 
um, in addition to really actionable and specific videos that are going into the product to help people learn this. And you know, the technical term is prompt engineering, and I hate that term because it's so technical and like off-putting and specific because it's not always going to be in the form of like a free form text box, right? But like getting an intuitive sense of the ways in which to query a language model to get the type of results you want. Like we've got an opportunity to basically, like imagine if I told you that like everybody was going to be able to write SQL, like as if they were, you know, writing the alphabet or playing the piano, if they play the piano, you know, it's just going to like just be so easy and effortless and natural language. Um, that's what we've got the opportunity to do. And, you know, the way that we build um, large language models for enterprise companies, you know, we're basically putting like all of their data into the LLM. And so, you know, it, it is, it's a really, really exciting opportunity, I think, for us to bring a whole new generation of, and I don't mean like younger generation, I mean, just like people investing and in learning this skill, bringing them into a way of thinking that I think rewards creativity and rewards folks who have that editorial and kind content bent already and gives them the skills of data scientists, essentially. So it's exciting for me because I'm a left brain, right brain person, and a lot of our um, customers and like fiercest advocates are as well. And I think it's going to be fun to just create an army of those folks in, in B2B and set them loose on improving their companies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you said so many things there that I wanted to touch on, but the one that you said in before is like, you hate the term prompt engineering. Um, what, if you had a chance to rebrand it, what would you rebrand it to? You know, we, we've got um, the working title for these workshops. I'd love to um, get your feedback, Jess, is, um, is AI whispering. Um, because there is, there, there's an element in AI whispering that is the art, right? And, and part of the reason I, I don't like prompt engineering is it sounds so much like a science, right? Like as if this were a database. Um, and I, I do like AI whispering better than prompt engineering. I don't know if we're going to go with that because we're, what we're basically saying is, um, yeah, similar to like a wild horse, this can absolutely be a dangerous and unwieldy um, tool machine, but in the right hands, right? Like understanding and caring, creative, right? Strong, the output and the product can be really extraordinary and really serve the user well. Yeah. Um, and I, so, yeah. Oh, go on. No, that's it. <laughs> no, I love the term. I was going to say, I just, I love the term AI whisperer. I think that does kind of make it, it makes a lot more sense. And especially to someone who's a more creative left brain type um, in particular. My kind of follow-up question to this that I'm sure you've probably been asked before, but I wanted to kind of get your sense on this is, what's your take on chat TPT? Yeah, it's a, just a phenomenal, phenomenal technology. And, you know, we have um, felt like we've gotten, we've gotten the market to cross the chasm as a result of folks playing with and seeing chat GPT. And it's still early days, but the, the risk of, the risks that folks faced 
um, talking about AI adoption to their peers and their bosses just went way, way, way down as a result of people being able to see for themselves how good the tech was. And, you know, it's, you know, GPT 3.5 in the um, in in the back end, but the reality is for the like the vast majority of the use cases we're all checking out and trying out. Um, you know, it's as good as it was a year ago, two years ago, even. Um, what has changed is the interface got got much simpler, um, simple enough for non-technical folks to really play around and 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 engage, and that is excellent news. You know, we feel like being a security first, data first, enterprise first type of product. Um, and I don't mean like capital E enterprise, but like, you know, company and team first, um, that there are a lot of things that need to be in place, call it post-processing for the content that comes out of AI clay to be ready for prime time. And so everything from making sure any of the facts and statistics in there are not only true, um, but the ones that are relevant to a company's business, they actually come from their own proprietary um, data stores or points of view or like audience messaging points, all of that good stuff. Um, but the brand voice and writing style sound like the company, like, and it's little things like, is it a first person blog? Is it a second person blog? Oh my God, is it a third person blog? Like if you need to go through 2000 words and like edit something from third to second, you know, that's going to get annoying. Um, and so there are so many things that need to happen for um, the, the content to be really ready to be used in these scalable ways. And so, you know, like everything, AI is a tool and we have built the only company out there that's trying to enable full-on teams with the tool um, versus individuals. And, you know, that means we've invested in template libraries and prompt libraries um, that are shared across teammates. We've invested in custom template building. And so, you know, the vast majority of customers like want to tweak either the input or the output. And so we help them do that. And then we also do training custom models, as well as delivering everything via API. So um, ChatGPT has done anybody in AI a massive service. And what we tell content leaders and CMOs, because um, that's our, that's our, those are our people right now, is it's been a minute since it was marketing and content people at the heart of the innovation conversation. And so, you know, we actually walk them through the other half dozen use cases that folks use us for across HR, operations, support, L&D, training, um, so that they can actually be the folks who introduce an entire company to the power of generative tech to edit, to draft, to write because it is a, um, it's a really singular moment. Um, and so it is, you know, years of academic research and um, uh, work that we have built our technology on top of. Um, we now use mostly our own proprietary generative um, uh, tech, but we certainly benefited in the early days from, from third-party tools. But I do think that, you know, we're moving very quickly to a world where every company is going to have its own LLM. That's what we're trying to do. I think there'll be a very quick bifurcation between consumer tools like GPT-3 um, or chat GPT and, and then what folks on the enterprise need to use. And, you know, I think you're going to see just many fewer companies um, very soon being able to like 
use something off the shelf that is going to take all their data to train the underlying foundational model. People very quickly are going to be, we're already seeing it, are going to draw that line around um, their own their own data. Yeah, absolutely. And what are some, what's like the most innovative use case you're seeing from a content marketing team? Oh, um, I love what Kristen Owen is doing at, um, at Do Stuff around using content that they write um, uh, day after day to be generating um, newsletters that then they send. Um, and, you know, their brand voice is quirky. They're artists. It's like it's an, it's a, um, an events and media company that is in, you know, a dozen U.S. cities. Um, and they're covering all of the goings on around town across like a whole bunch of different categories. And it's a fun, witty, exciting newsletter, you know, it feels kind of indie. And it was so fun, you know, being part of helping them generate that automatically based on the, the, the templates that they gave us, the examples they gave us, as well as like them describing what they want it to be like. Um, so it's been, yeah, really fun. Absolutely. And what are some of the limitations um, that you think, you know, content, particularly in the content side, should be wary of when it comes to AI? Um, what do you mean? I mean, like, are there any specific limitations or areas where maybe you should not be using AI to do this thing? Oh, very, very good question. Um, you know, Jess, I feel like I can't think of anything that I would say no to with caveats, right? Like if you've got really, really strong training data, if we've had like, and we've got a blog post about this coming out next week around just like when you are doing training, like the importance of treating that like a product and the person that puts is put in in charge of that whether they're a content marketing marketer person an seo a digital marketer a content strategist that like for a brief period of time they're actually thinking like a product manager right as they build this thing if you have training data if you have strong product management as you as you build your template um if you are doing just like an incredible job evaluating the output like when you scale that via api you're going to feel really good about it um, not being checked by a person. And, you know, we've now seen this, especially in e-commerce, be the case where when all of that is followed, right, heavily caveat that, um, then the conversion rates, because um, that scale, you know, this is what you're looking at instead of editing millions of words, um, the conversion rates can be even better. And most people are looking for the conversion rates to stay the same, right, because they get to um, kind of get point creatives to to be working on um, additional things or additional programs but when folks are seeing higher conversion rates right it's like really validating to kind of that data pipeline so you know one of our 23 predictions is this idea of like handcrafted content really be taking off you know i i do think for things of a personal nature, like really taking the time, obviously, um, means a lot. Over the weekend, my husband's working on a proposal, and I actually, he asked for my help with it, and I got it done in like 90 minutes, and he thought it would take all day. Um, and I was like, well, I used Writer. It is my favorite tool for exactly this reason. 
you know, would I have written him my like 10 year anniversary? I love you letter with writer. I don't know that I would have felt great about that. You know, that like those, uh, those ideas didn't come expressly from me. Um, but even in helping like write the proposal, right? Like he had told me the kinds of things that he wanted to be talking about. And so I already had some of those. Um, and then writer came up with a few ideas where I like tested them. And he's like, oh yeah, I, that should totally be in there. And so it is going to be really a spectrum of tasks where you take the lead, AI supports, AI takes the lead, you support and massage. And what that, you know, what is on that spectrum is going to be, I think, so personal. And so, you know, even as we focus on team adoption and company adoption, like the the initial thrust after a setup really is in getting individuals to that AI whispering like uh, capability level, because you may love writing headlines, Jessica, and like reading your newsletter, you are, uh, you write great headlines. I'm always opening up your newsletter. Um, I'd open it up just based on the subject line, even if I didn't know that it was yours. And I hate doing that. You know, I actually scarily enough, I love writing like the like blurb sort of summarizing like why you want to read this blog post in a newsletter um, to get people to click on it. Um, you know, we, we do that. We don't put the whole blog post in a newsletter. Um, and so I always have fun editing those um, when someone has drafted it up. I love writing um, kind of punny like CTAs in the newsletter. Someone might hate that and might prefer to just write in writer, like give me a pun that says X, Y, Z, that's no longer than four words, right? Um, and writer is really good at that kind of like express um, type of specific language. So yeah, does that answer your question? It does. <laughs> I love it. Um, where do you see the future of content marketing heading? I think community and just kind of owning your audience. Um, I was looking at something that I was doing earlier and um, someone used the phrase for like, you know, Google sunsetting cookies, um, first party data. And it took me a second. I was like, wait, you mean like email, <laughs> right? Like, okay, this, that is what we're talking about, right? The idea that you wouldn't be spending all of your time and energy trying to create great communities around what your product does, the problem you're solving, the people that like are that gravitate towards solving that problem and what they care about outside of like that problem and their jobs even, like the fact that that wouldn't be your full-time focus as, as, a, as a content marketing team actually is, is going to feel a little alien. And so I think, you know, the way that we are approaching content marketing, I think is forward thinking um, and really does take like the audience and the user community, even if they're not users of writer yet, kind of at the heart. And we try as much as possible, like we are, we, we don't do ABM or we don't do outbound, like it is all content and social, but we name names, right? Like these are the these are our dream customers, right? These are our dream champions. This is like exactly who we think folks in our community will benefit from joining the community. And so we like to think about actual people versus like personas or whatever. And we're not emailing them directly, like God forbid, right? But we're like really trying to produce content and events that get them excited and get them coming to us. So yeah. I, I think that is, 
going to be the heart of content marketing. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. Before we wrap, I always like to ask a couple of lightning round questions. Okay. <laughs> um, if you had to write a book tomorrow, what would you write it about? Strangely, this is an easy one. Of course, I work at Writer. Um, I love the book Pachinko. I don't know if you've ever, have you read Pachinko? I have not. Oh, it's so, so good. And it is like three to four generations of a Korean Japanese family starting in the late 18th century up until like the 80s, um, 1980s. And I I would definitely write um, probably like the Lebanese version of that novel. <laughs> I'm so inspired by um, it. And um, yeah, that's what I would do. That's awesome. And what's one book that you'd recommend that any startup founder or CEO should read? Oh, yay. Um, yeah, the, the Matt Moshari book, um, CEO's Handbook. That's like hands down. I'll share it with you for the notes. Um, Google it. It's on Amazon. I have it in ebook too. Um, but then second, um, highly recommend um, Amp It Up. Um, by Frank Slootman. Um, those are two that like I'm always rereading sections of it or um, using it as reference. Both both those books I think are really excellent. Love it. You can <laughs> love it. You can always tell, you know, how good a book is if someone goes back and rereads it once a year, once every couple of years. I have the same thing with a couple of books. It's been amazing chatting with you on the Remote Workshop podcast. Where can listeners find you online, May? Oh, thanks, Jessica. Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, less so on Twitter, especially these days. They are a great customer and a lot of our people are gone now. Um, but LinkedIn is where we've been building um, our audience and our content and we are there. So connect with me and um, yeah, excited to chat and, and learn more about what folks in your community are excited about. Awesome. Thank you again. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com, to learn more about remote work trends and insights.